And welcome to episode 25 of the Get More Sports Podcast. Thanks for rocking with us once again. My name is Doug McCain. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at DMAC underscore LA. All news related to the GMS podcast, you're going to find right over there. But on today's episode, we are going to be breaking down that epic, epic Wimbledon final yesterday. It was a showdown for the ages against two of the greatest tennis players to ever do it. You had Roger Federer going for his 21st major, Novak Djokovic trying to get his 16th major, and we're going to break it all down. We're also going to talk a little hoops. You got some NBA news. Ben Simmons signs an extension, and then Anthony Davis, he is formally announced as a Los Angeles Laker, and we're going to talk all that in just a second. And then we're going to wrap things up. Stay, stay locked until the end. We're going to break down give you the top 10 biggest choke jobs in the history of sports. But we have to start with yesterday's Wimbledon final. That match had just about everything. It's the Wimbledon. It's the Masters of Tennis. It's the Super Bowl of Tennis. Whatever you want to call it, it is a very, very big deal. And Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic, they put on a show for not just tennis fans. I mean, sports fans. That really took over yesterday. The match was nearly five hours long. I woke up at 6 a.m. here in the West Coast to check out the match. And I was glued because it had, it really had everything. But five hours long. I'm telling you, bro, that, that is a little long for a tennis match. Prince William is there. That thing was so long, I thought he was going to be king of England by the time they were done playing some tennis. But really, I have my takes on it, and it's probably going to be unpopular. But just looking at the match, just from starting at the match, after Roger Federer said that he did not want to be depressed about actually an amazing tennis match, which to me, that's easy to say if you're Roger Federer. And to me, it's harder to live by when you have two championship points, you're serving for two championship points and you're unable to get it done. Uh, but really, it was it was an amazing performance for a guy who is 38 years old and in tennis years, that's a dinosaur. That's like you're pushing 2,000, okay? And really, for him to be competing at this level the way he is, is really, really impressive. But let's just break down the match a little bit. So in the full five hours, this is what's really amazing, is Roger Federer played superior tennis to Novak Djokovic. Now, I don't know if you want to say that Djokovic held on versus Federer choked, right? But really, to me, I hate to say this. And this is coming from a guy. This is coming from a guy. If you look at my trunk right now, you'll find a Roger Federer-Wilson tennis bag. Inside there, you'll find a Roger Federer-Wilson racket, the same one that he used in yesterday's match. You'll see the Roger Federer's Nike Vapor tennis shoes. I am a fed head from the core. I'm a big Roger Federer fan. You see me rocking the bandana. Trust me, I'm a little... I can be fanboy about certain things, and Roger Federer, uh, I'm a big big tennis guy. I've been a fed head for quite some time, and I hate to say this, man. I hate to say this to my boy Roger Federer, but you have to say he choked that one away, okay? Roger Federer definitely choked that one away. And I know that you got a lot of people saying 
all the cliches. Oh, he no one deserved to lose that match, right? No one should have lost that match. Roger Federer, I mean, it's tennis. It's an elitist sport, played in the Wimbledon, very classy and classy and elite. So nobody wants to say Roger Federer choked, right? Especially when you look at how elite his tennis was yesterday. We're going to break down the match more in a second here. But let me paint a scenario for you, okay? What if you got the Lakers... Let's say you got the Los Angeles next year. How about this? You got the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Milwaukee Bucks next year in the NBA Finals. It's game seven, and the Lakers are up by the Lakers are up by three. Let's say the Lakers are up by three. At less than 20 seconds. LeBron James gets the ball. He crosses half court, and they foul LeBron James. And LeBron goes the line with the Lakers up three. NBA Finals. In the bag, and LeBron James bricks and clanks two consecutive free throws. And then what happens? Milwaukee goes. Maybe Giannis has a three-point shot. By the way, Giannis Antetokounmpo said yesterday that he's only reached 60% of his potential. So maybe maybe by the time next year he'll be able to hit threes. Maybe let's say Giannis Antetokounmpo bangs home a three-pointer, the Bucks tie the game, and then they win the NBA Finals. What would everyone say? Everyone would say that LeBron James choked, okay? Everyone would say LeBron James choked in that situation. He had a chance to win, and he didn't get it done. But um, apparently, it's different for tennis. It's different for a guy like Roger Federer. And I have a friend named Chi, Chi Chi, who was saying that uh, he's a big tennis guy. He was saying that yesterday it was Kawhi Leonard versus LeBron James. Djokovic was Kawhi Leonard. And uh, Roger Federer is LeBron James, and I'm sorry, Chi, but really it was more like Roger Federer was Michael Jordan and Djokovic was LeBron James. And what I what I mean by that is, you know how I feel about LeBron James and Michael Jordan, but at some point you have to you have to concede the fact that LeBron James is coming, Djokovic is coming, and at only 32, 16 majors, it's hard to believe that. Djokovic won't eventually be the all-time majors champion in tennis. So if you look at it, his legacy, Djokovic. But let's break down the match a little. So in the full five hours, Roger Federer, he broke he broke more than he was broken. He won more points, won more games in the longest Wimbledon match ever. And then he lost 7-6, 1-6, 7-6, 4-6, and then 13-12. So you can take any stat from yesterday's match except the only one that matters, and that is that he didn't get it done in that final showdown, and Djokovic just uh, was nails. I mean, what can you say about the Joker? He, I mean, just look at this. Look at this breakdown. Yesterday, aces. Roger Federer, 25. Novak Djokovic, 10. Double faults. Roger Federer, 6. Joker, 9. First serve percentage. Djokovic, 62. Uh, Feder 63%, close on that. But if you look at it, I mean, 94 winners. 94 winners for Roger Federer compared to 54 winners for Novak Djokovic. 62 unforced errors to 52 uh, for Federer. So total points won. Yesterday, total points won. Federer, 218. Djokovic, 204. And also, just look at that. I think this is the biggest factor in yesterday because, trust me, I've watched Federer laser-focused for years now, 
okay? And even the Federer diehards have to admit that that really there it, it, it comes down to sometimes Federer, when he moves so much, he starts to hit the net, those four, you know, he starts to shank four forehands, and really it's it just starts to go haywire a little bit. And if you look at that distance covered, Djokovic, uh, 5,623.5 meters, and then Federer at 5,800 meters, and then distant covered per point, also Federer. So Federer was moving around. Djokovic was wearing him down, and at 38, going against an athlete like Djokovic, really, I would still consider him in his prime, maybe in the twilight of his prime as far as athletically. That was a tall task, but... Look, I mean, he had two championship points on serve. Two championship points on serve, and he delivered two aces in that game. Roger Federer closed the deal, my man. He had two championship serves, having having already laid down two aces. And this is another stat that if you're Roger Federer, this is going to haunt him. It's going to haunt Fed heads around the world like myself. And Roger Federer is the first man to hold championship points at Wimbledon and not cash in in 71 years. So it hadn't happened in 71 years where you've had championship point. In this case, Federer had it twice, having already uh, slammed down two aces. And it was the third time that Djokovic saved two Federer match points in the fifth set at a major. So... It was just a lot of drama. I mean, no one had won a Wimbledon's men fi- uh, no one had won a Wimbledon men's final from match point down. So, match point down with Djokovic was twice, two times. No one had won a Wimbledon final from match down since 1948 when Bob Falkenberg you guys know Bob Falkenberg. I know you know Bob Falkenberg. He saved three against John Bromwich, okay? That'll be our fact of the day. So no one had won a Wimbledon men's finals for match point down since 1948 when Bob Falkenberg saved three against John Bromwich. But it was one for the ages. It was one for the ages. It pains me to say Djokovic choke, but I'm telling you, I'm fascinated by this match. Ask my neighbors. I was screaming. I thought it was over. I was ready to celebrate. I was about to put my Feder bandana on, and Djokovic was absolutely nails in that situation. And by the way, classy move right here by Novak Djokovic. Djokovic, after the game, check this out. He says that he was very inspired by Roger Federer. Roger said that he hopes that he gives, gives uh, some other people a chance to believe that they can do it at 37. I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> he inspires me, for sure. And then he goes on to say, I thought I was most, I, I thought I was on my back foot the most of the mat, actually. Djokovic said, he said, I was defending, he was dictating play, and I just try to fight and find a way when it mattered the most. So, and then also I love this. Look, Djokovic is never going to be embraced like Rafael Nadal. He's never going to be embraced like Roger Federer. I think he's favorite. I think, you know, he's my girlfriend's favorite tennis player, the Djokovic, uh, the Joker is, but he's not going to be the guy who's going to be a, a, a transcend like a Roger Federer and be adored like a Nadal. 
But I think I love it. I love what he says here. He says, I just, you know, the whole the whole crowd, he said, when the crowd is chanting, Roger, I hear Novak, he said after the match. And he said, I know it sounds silly, but it's like that. I try to convince myself that it's like that. And to me, it's just, you got to give him credit. I mean, back against the wall. I mean, this is Tom Brady coming back against the Falcons. I mean, this is a great comeback by Novak Djokovic. And I don't know, you, there's other ways you can look at it. You can say, look, is this a 38-year-old losing to a 31-year-old? Roger Federer in 2008, I think, is a better player, is a, is a far superior tennis player than Novak Djokovic. You, there's no way you can convince me otherwise. So look, the way it lined up, I mean, in most cases, look, if you follow tennis, guys are, by 38, guys are are, are doing you know celebrity tennis matches in in uh, the tennis world, you know you have no business playing in uh, playing tennis at this level with all the tennis that he's played, but uh, like Roger Federer. So I mean, he's thirty eight, Djokovic thirty one. Age is a factor, but look, when it's all said and done, I don't want to see that as a detractor on Djokovic's legacy. Because if you look at it, Roger Federer turned pro in 1998 and Djokovic turned pro in 2003. So when it's all said and done, they're all going to have about the same amount of equal playing time. And it won't be a bias six-and-a-half-year advantage. So if you look at it right now as it stands, if you're worried about Roger Roger Federer's legacy as the GOAT, he's still number one. With majors one, his record is twenty and eleven, and Rafael Nadal he's second at eighteen and eight. The only thing you can say about Rafael Nadal is eighteen of those majors, uh, twelve of them are for the French Open. Honestly, they they really have to they really have to call it the Nadal Open. I know the Roland Garros they need to change that to, to you know to the to the Rafael Nadal tennis invitational or something because he dominates and no one has anyone owned a tournament or any sporting event like Rafael Nadal owns the French Open? The answer is unequivocally no, okay? Roger Fe- uh, Rafael Nadal owns, they sh- owns, the, uh, owns the, uh, the French Open like no other. And then third is Novak Djokovic. So Djokovic is climbing up, climbing up at 16-9. and nine. And check this out. I mean, Djokovic is a guy, too, who has battled his own injuries. He's a guy that, even though he looks you know, as fit as he can be, zero body fat, he's a guy that, that has his own, uh, has had his own issues. It's just 30, 333 days ago, 333 days ago, he had 12 majors, okay? So Djokovic is uh, a season and a half. Oh, here we go. A season and a, no three hundred and six. Uh, correction, three hundred and sixty-six days ago, Djokovic had twelve majors. Twelve majors, and just a year ago, now he has sixteen. He's cleaning house. He's collecting majors. And when it's all said and done, and this pains me, this really, I, I, if, 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 if I could be wrong about anything I've ever said on this show, I hope it's this. But it pains me to admit. That barring any major injury, Novak Djokovic will supplant Roger Federer as the all-time winningest tennis player with majors one. He's only 32, has 16 majors. He's ahead of Roger's pace, and it's uh, 
It, but 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 one thing I don't think he will get though. I still I, I even if he passes him, uh, even if he passes him, I don't I wouldn't put him ahead of uh, Roger Federer. I just wouldn't because I look at peak players, and it's almost like a Tom Brady situation. I don't think Tom Brady is the best football player of all time, but I will tip my cap and give him credit as being the greatest winner of all time, and also a guy who has. Uh, you know, taking full advantage of the of the breaks and opportunities he's presented. But the thing that uh, Feder has, though, is number you know 31, 31 finals. So thirty one finals all time in a sixteen year span, and he, the uh, Djokovic is not going to touch that. So there you have it, Novak Djokovic. He wins an epic, epic match against Roger Feder. And we'll see what happens. It's great to talk about tennis, by the way. Tennis is a sport that really, unless something something very historical happens, you don't hear much about it with all the NBA, free agency, football, everything going on. But really, it was one for the ages yesterday at the Wimbledon final. And next story we're going to talk about today is Anthony Davis's introductory press conference for the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, thank you. I think the most difficult part for me was just not knowing, you know, um, the unknown. You know, it was whether, you know, I get traded or whether you know, I go back to New Orleans. Um, so I think the unknown was just the most difficult for me. And then when, uh, you know, it, it was announced that I was being traded, um, I don't say it was a sign of relief. It was just, you know, you know, something that, you know, that I, I've thought about for a long time. Um, obviously, it was tough for me to, you know, leave a city that I've been playing for for seven years. But um, I think it was, you know, best for me and it was my time. But, when you know, when I found out I was getting traded to the Lakers, um, you know, it was, I, I realized it was an unbelievable opportunity for me um, to be here uh, with a wonderful organization um, and then get to play alongside, um, you know, LeBron. And obviously now the players that we have now, um, but back then, before, it was really just <laughs> LeBron here. Um, and so, you know, to get the opportunity to do that, you know, and, and come here and um, play for an organization that's all about winning, um, oh, forget winning, winning championships, you know, and, and that's the only goal. Um, I think that was the biggest thing for me, just the relief there um, of not, you know, not knowing the unknown anymore and, and knowing where I was going to be next season. So if you check that out, it's, by the way, it seems like it was about a decade ago when that trade was made. But I've got three takeaways from the Anthony Davis press conference with the Lakers. And the first one is very simple. Anthony Davis is a happy man. This guy looks like he's glowy. He's got that L.A. glow. He's been out in the sun. He's got the extra smile to him. That unibrow looks extra connected these days. I don't know what that's about, but Anthony Davis is happy and ecstatic to be a Los Angeles Lakers. So I, to be on the purple and gold, he's wanted this for a long time. And really, kind of the headline he made was when he talked about the fact that he'd put the Los Angeles Lakers roster up against anyone in the league, and it's really hard to argue with Anthony Davis on that one. Really, the Lakers have done a nice job, and I'm impressed with the Lakers. I've been critical of the purple and gold, but how they've been able to pivot since not landing Kawhi Leonard to me was very impressive. 
especially when the first move you signed Danny Green at $15 million a year, that may be seen as an overpay, but then you get value from Avery Bradley and DeMarcus Cousins, and I really like this Lakers roster, and I still think they're going to improve it. So I'm with you on there. As of right now, the Lakers, they're the odds-on favorite to win the NBA title next year. And I also agree with Anthony Davis. I would put this Los Angeles Lakers roster against any team in the NBA. I'm not saying they would sweep or dominate a team. I'm not saying they wouldn't potentially lose to another roster that had equal uh, or close to enough talent. Like if the Bucks. Take a, take a step forward, or other teams in the West, the Clippers are going to pose a major threat. I'm not saying this is a juggernaut like we've seen in the past with the Heatles or the Golden State Warriors in their heyday, but I'm with you. You can't deny Anthony Davis. You'd have to put this roster up against any team in the NBA. When you have two of the top three players all time in PER in LeBron and Anthony Davis, only one is who's mixed in there is Michael Jordan at the top, then really it's tough to deny, to deny that, especially when you look at the roster moves they've made since, being, uh, since they were unable to land the claw. But that's my number one takeaway is the brow is happy to be in La La Land. He's loving it. I mean, I, I was really impressed, man. This guy had a swagger to him, a charisma that I really had never seen from an Anthony Davis. The confidence, the swagger. Of course, he's Anthony Davis. He's always had confidence. But really, I'm seeing some LA, L.A. star power from the guy, and it's really a nice sight to see and really what you want to see if you're a Los Angeles Laker. Because remember, if the Los Angeles Lakers, it's not just about – who uh, is not just about wins and losses. It's a style of play. It's about developing superstars in the city of stars. And Anthony Davis appears to have that in spades. So next takeaway is my next takeaway is that uh, is, 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 well, yeah, my next takeaway is that, yeah, he's very confident in the Lakers roster. But my next takeaway was I love how he found out about the trade. He found out about the trade on Instagram. Did you guys see this? I mean, the most millennial thing ever. Remember, this kid's only 26, okay? It's tough to believe that he's only 26. But Anthony Davis, he finds out about the trade when he on Instagram. He said, I was watching a movie. I want to know what movie he was watching. Why didn't anyone ask what movie he was watching? But uh, I was watching a movie, and my agent called me. Davis said, in the middle of the movie, I don't like to answer my phone phones and texts, and then he called me again, so I was kind of, first of all, cut that off, props to Anthony Davis, man, he's like, bro, I'm locked into this movie, Yo, you can get at me later, but he said he called me again, and so I kind of like hit it, and then I was like, wait, let me call him back, when I call him back, it went straight to voicemail, so me being a 26-year-old, I went straight to Instagram, and that's when I saw it, so I love that, he's just scrolling down his Instagram, it's like, oh, house of highlights, house of highlights, people from high school, people from college, aunts, uncles, Doug the Pug. If you're not following Doug the Pug, it's a great follow. Kylie Cosmetics, uh, eyebrows on fleet, Cardi B. Oh, I got traded to the Los Angeles Lakers. <laughs> I, I love that, and that's how he found out about that. So you know you're a millennial when you find out you got traded via Instagram. So I love that. And then... My next takeaway, my next takeaway is that he's very happy about reuniting with DeMarcus Cousins. So DeMarcus Cousins, if you know the history, they played together in New Orleans. They're both Kentucky Wildcats. 
a lot of people wondered is Anthony Davis, does he embrace playing with, uh, with DeMarcus Cousins? And one thing he revealed is, look, it's no secret. I like playing the four over the five and bringing in DeMarcus Cousins, maybe that you, you keep him at the four. And he says, I love playing with Boogie. Obviously, we didn't want it to end. Now we have the opportunity to reunite in a great situation. And then Cousins earlier in the week said, me and AD, oh, he just calls him A. I love that. He just calls him A. I'm calling him that from now on. Anthony Davis, you're not the – I always look for what the NBA players' nicknames are. Uh, like, by the way, the Dodgers, apparently Chris Taylor said they call Cody Bellinger. He wished him a happy birthday to Bopper. So apparently Bellinger is Bopper. So I'm calling him Bopper from here on out. And apparently DeMarcus Cousins calls him A. So me and A have talked about it numerous times about being teammates again, Cousins said. We never wanted it to end, but everything happens for a reason. So they reunite. And the fact that he's on board with DeMarcus Cousins, I think that's a big deal. And I just think that uh, it was it was a really it, you had saw, you saw LeBron James of course LeBron James he made an appearance there was a funny moment when Anthony Davis was trying to get LeBron James on his Snapchat or Instagram story and LeBron was trying to duck it check this out not letting him film you nope <laughs> you see my, you see my eighty three yeah low and LJ twenty three. <laughs> you, I'm a, I'm a, that, that Snapchat gonna be all bad. You keep messing with me. <laughs> 83. But he throws LeBron in there. LeBron rolled up. It was nice to see LBJ in the house. Rocking the Crenshaw yellow Nipsey Hustle hoodie. And also, last takeaway is that Anthony Davis, despite being MVP caliber player, all the numbers he put up, he was not very happy in New Orleans. He was not very happy with New Orleans. And he said, when it was announced that I was being traded, I wouldn't say it was a sigh of relief. It was just something that I thought about for a long time. So in the back of his mind, he's still as productive and killing it on the court like he was, but for a long time, he had been thinking about leaving the, the Pelicans in New Orleans. So then he goes on to say, obviously it was tough for me to leave a city. I've been playing for seven years, but when I found out I was getting traded to the Lakers, I realized it was an unbelievable opportunity for me to be here. So He's happy to be in L.A., happy to be out of New Orleans, and there you have it with Anthony Davis and the Brow. So next story, this morning, early this morning, it broke that Ben Simmons has signed a seven-year, no, a five-year extension with the five-year extension with the Philadelphia 76ers, $170 million extension for the Sixers. So he's going to be locked up. In Philly, and really it's a no-brainer move because if you're Philly, so it's, yeah, it's a five-year, $170 million extension for Ben Simmons. And by the way, that's this is a good move for Rich Paul. Rich Paul, if you don't know this, Rich Paul, the ringleader of Clutch Sports, he got dropped by Nerlens Noel and Marcus uh, Morris in the last couple of days. So you got guys dropping Rich Paul. Everyone's saying, oh, he all he does is cater to LeBron. He's, a, he's not a great agent. No, 
He's a good agent. Anyone who can get uh, get your guy $170 million extension before it's up, five-year deal for Ben Simmons, is definitely doing his job. But my only fear with this, my fear with this and Ben Simmons, and this is not, you know, you've heard me say in the past that, look, we've had dominant players that have, have had the inability to shoot, but this is a guy who does not shoot at all whatsoever. Tobias Harris, after playing one game in Philly last year, passed Ben Simmons for, most, for more three-pointers as a 76er. That's not good in a league that is driven by three-point shooting, especially at the guard position. So my only fear is, does this big deal make him, uh, make him more comfortable? Does it prevent him from working on that jump shot and putting in all the necessary work that needs to be done to develop a respectable three-point shot and you get paid. You wonder if you get complacent. I hope that's not the case here for Ben Simmons and the Philadelphia 76ers. I guess Kendall might be moving to L.A. No, I think they already broke up. So that's actually probably a good sign for, for his career. But Ben Simmons, he gets paid. And like I said, if you're Philadelphia, if you're Elton Brandon Company, Ben Simmons is a star. Don't kid yourself. Ben Simmons has star, superstar potential, a former number one pick, I mean, before Zion Williamson, it was all about Ben Simmons. Unfortunately, he broke his foot the ro- his rookie year. But Ben Simmons is really a great player. I mean, Ben Simmons is another triple-double machine. He's got court vision. Just look at his numbers right here. Ben Simmons, first couple years in the league. I mean, you wouldn't probably put these numbers up for a guy to get a $170 million extension. You wouldn't think that you're going to extend a guy who's averaging 16 points, 7 assists, 8 rebounds. For his career, he's averaging 16, 7.9, and 8.5. Those aren't really only a one-time all-star. But with Ben Simmons, you put you, you sign that contract, one, on the potential that you think he's going to be a star and a pillar of your franchise, and then also you could flip him for an asset. I'm telling you, if they wanted Chris Paul, Oklahoma City, they would trade all of those, a, a good amount of those picks they have, that treasure trove of picks they just picked up from the Rockets and the Clippers for Ben Simmons because he'll be under contract with a no, a no trade clause. So it makes for a, a perfect, unbelievable trade asset and then a player who you commit to long term. So that's what we got for the NBA today. Anthony Davis, Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, of course, we touched on that. Still getting used to Russell Westbrook playing for the Houston Rockets. But next, we're going to give you guys the top 10 choke. Now, I don't put Roger Fetters in the top 50 choke jobs. I mean, it wasn't the, it, you won't see it at the top of choke jobs, but I definitely think that it's okay to call it a choke jobs. But if you're interested in what are the top 10 choke jobs in sports history, I'm going to give it to you right now. All right, here we go. We're going to start things off back in 1991, Buffalo Bills, the B-I-L-L-L-L. You remember they lost four Super Bowls. 1991, Scott Norwood, wide right in the Super Bowl. He had a chance to win the Super Bowl for the Buffalo Bills with a 47-yard field goal attempt against the G-Men, the New York Giants, trailing by one point, a 47-yarder, and he shanked that puppy wide right. I know I have this one a little lower on the list because, look, that's a tough, that's a tough situation. You're in the Super Bowl. You're trailing 
47 yarders in the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl turf can be a little tricky, a little moist, a little balmy. So I wouldn't, uh, I mean, that one's low on the list, but still, Scott Norwood, that's still a choke job. Any way you slice it, and really, that kind of goes through all the Bills. That whole run for the Bills, not able to get it done, really was just a sad state of affairs. Next, we got 1993. The Oilers blew a 35-3 halftime lead to those same Buffalo Bills. So, hey, Buffalo Bills, I'm going to call you out in the Super Bowl, but also give you some love here for this comeback. So the Oilers had a 35-3 lead against the Buffalo Bills and, and to a backup quarterback. To a backup quarterback, up 32, and the Houston Oilers, they just straight up fell asleep at the wheel in the second half. And Frank Reich... Frank Reich, the backup quarterback, he leads the charge as the Buffalo Bills came back to win 41-38 to in overtime. And I'm telling you, that Houston Oilers team, Warren Moon and company, that was a super caliber club for the, for the, for the Houston Oilers that year. And they blow it against the Buffalo Bills. Next, this one hurts. My, my good friend Sherman, friend of the show, he is a big Michigan Wolverine fan, and I have to include it because it's such an iconic moment, but you got to include Chris Weber's called timeout, okay? And Chris Weber, he was the leader of the Fab Five. The, the people say the Miami Hurricanes invented swagger. I really think that the, uh, uh, the, really the Michigan Wolverines, the Fab Five, they definitely deserve a lot of credit for the whole we invented swagger moniker that the U likes to claim because the Michigan Wolverines, they were the coolest thing you've ever seen in your life. Baggy shorts, the black Nikes. No one was rocking the black socks. I mean, they were just the epitome of cool back in the day. And unfortunately, in the NCAA title game against the North Carolina Tar Heels, trailing by two points, Weber tried to call a timeout when the Wolverines had none left. And really, it, it, was this, it sealed the deal for the Tar Heels. And of course, you know, the refs also missed Chris Weber should have been called for a travel. So he should, have been, he should have been called for that traveling violation, calls the timeout. If you haven't seen the 30 for 30 on the Fab Five, it really gets into it how people on the bench were telling him to uh, uh, call timeout. So there's been some revisionist history about the incident, but still, you got to know C-Webb in that situation. That uh, that you know, I, I always wonder if I if I could ever ask Chris Weber one question, I would say, "Hey, Chris, would you rather have not been in the national championship game at all, or not make a final four appoint- appearance at all? What, what would you What would you do? Would you rather have that, or or not have the timeout call? If you could not be in that game at all and avoid that embarrassing moment, and avoid that moment that everyone likes to mention." Here and then when you talk about choking, would you want it? I think Chris Webber is just a part of who he is. I don't think he shies away from it. And I think Chris Webber, on another note, should be in the Hall of Fame. And next, how about back in 1966 when the Shark Greg Norman, he just choked away the Masters. So we saw Federer and the Wimbledon. How about Greg Norman and the Masters? He had a six-shot lead in the final round of the Masters before shooting a 78 on the final day. And not only did he lose the lead, he finished five strokes behind Nick Faldo. So he straight up choked away the Masters. That was not a pretty sight. Then we got the 2002 Giants. They lose that NFC wildcard game. So the Giants, they had a chance at the end of the game, despite blowing a 38-14. They, they were up 38-14 to 14 against the Niners. 
in the second half. And then long snapper Trey Junkin called out of retirement days earlier. He had a bad snap on a 41-yard uh, field goal attempt, and that sealed the deal for the – I mean, that one – I mean, not a lot of people remember that one, but I just remember that so vividly. I was really about the 49ers at that point because I was a big Jerry Rice fan, so I really remember that one. And then this one. How about – this one I think is a unique one because this isn't an athlete. This is a fan. How about 2003, the Cubs and Bartman? The Chicago Cubs, they were up on the Marlins 3-2, and they were holding a 3-0 lead in Game 6, and that foul ball down the left field line, it looked like it was going to be caught by Moise Salou. Of course, Steve Bartman, green turtleneck and all, he made an attempt on the ball, and without that out, the Cubs would implode. They would allow eight runs in the inning. Oh, man, Steve Bartman. And that the, I feel so bad for this guy because this guy is a diehard Cubs fan, and good thing for them, they were able to win it but uh, against the Indians in 2017 but, or 2016, but still. And then how about this? The 2004 Yankees blow a 3-0 lead to the Boston Red Sox. So it's bad enough you blow a 3-0 lead, and it was the 2004 AL Championship Series. You blow a 3-0 lead, but you do it to your arch rival in four straight games, and they would go on to end their curse by sweep being the St. Louis Cardinals in the World Series. So, I mean, if you're the Yankees, the, the Red Sox, they have that bitter rivalry. To do that to your own, that still has to cause nightmares for the pinstripes. And then how about the 2011 Rangers? They lose two leads in Game 6 of the World Series. So the Rangers, they had a chance to win the World Series in the ninth inning of Game 6 with a 7-5 lead down to their last strike. The Cardinals' David Freeze. David Freeze, by the way, he's really having a great year for the Dodgers in his role, and the Dodgers are hoping he can be this clutch for them in the postseason. David Freeze, he hits a two-run double. Texas would take the lead again in the 10th on a two-run homer before Lance Berkman tied the game with an RBI single, and then Freeze would really cement his legacy as one of the most clutch World Series players ever with a walk-off home run in the 11th. And then the Cardinals, they would win the series in seven. Rangers, that's a major choke job. You drop two at home to win the, your first World Series. That is a major choke job with a capital C. I hate to drop the C word, but I'm doing it today. And then how about 2013? Auburn wins the Iron Bowl on the miracle return field goal. The kick six, as they call it. Nick Saban doesn't make very many mistakes, but he, cho- he, he opted to kick that 57-yard field goal at the end of regulation instead of going to overtime. And then it cost him. So tied at 28, Chris Davis, he returned the missed field goal 100 yards to win that, to win the, for the kick six. So that was big time. Uh, and it was funny to see, it was funny to see Nick Saban's look because that was just not, not a good look for Nick Saban. But next we got 2015, the Seahawks. The Seattle Seahawks, they lose the Super Bowl with an interception at the goal line. This to me is just definitely in the conversation as a goat choke job. Malcolm Butler, who really not many people, I bet you before the game, even Patriots fans didn't know Malcolm Butler. He made one of the biggest plays in Super Bowl history, and it was a questionable play call by Pete Carroll. Now, there's been a lot of theories that Pete Carroll likes to glorify quarterbacks, and then he likes to build up quarterbacks, and then he wanted Russell Wilson to get that touchdown to cement his legacy. Now, 
It, Mark Sanchez, by the way, this dates back to when USC days with Pete Carroll. One time there was a screen pass that they ruled a run, and Pete Carroll petitioned that to be a touchdown for Mark Sanchez to try to try to build his Heisman case. And this seems like it could be a similar situation. They were down 28-24 with second and goal on the one-yard line with 26 seconds left. And with one timeout remaining, the Seahawks throw it. Butler and Butler picks it off. And Tom Brady, by the way, he gives Butler the uh he gives Butler the car that you get after the game. So for the MVP. And then you got, to me, uh, you got to give this as, as number one. I got to give this as number one, the number one choke job of all time. The Falcons blew a 28-3 third quarter lead in the Super Bowl. A 25-point lead in the third quarter with the stage set for you to win your first Super Bowl. It was just unbelievable. They just blew it to the New England Patriots. And Tom Brady, give Tom Brady credit. People say he's a system quarterback. He benefits off Bill Belichick. I give that Super Bowl 90% of the credit to Tom Brady. The fire in his eyes in that second half and that 25-point comeback. I mean, 25 unanswered points in regulation to force overtime, tied at 28, and they just failed to run the clock down. New England wins 34-28 on a James White touchdown. To me, that's the biggest choke job of all time. All things considered, you got the biggest biggest sporting event in America. You're up 25 with seven minutes of play in the third. I mean, you run the football every time you get the ball and you go, and you go three and out, you're probably going to win that game, okay? And you just couldn't get first downs. Matt Ryan, Julio Jones and company, they dropped the ball, and then Tom Brady is just greatness in that situation. But those are my top choke jobs of all time but thanks again for rocking with us here on the get more sports podcast my name is doug mccain thanks again and i'm out